Turn with me uh, to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And I want you to go back up to verse 1, and we're just going to go real quick uh, through verses 1 through 8, and then we pick up our study for this morning in verse 9, because it just brings it all together. Now, as we've come into chapter 4, Paul, as a true shepherd, a shepherd with love and compassion and grace in his heart, his desire to teach the Word, his concern would always be uh, to take the opportunity to share in this area of spiritual instruction. And so Paul has been dealing with the church at Thessalonica, the model church. And as we come into chapter 4, we've been speaking about this model walk of the believer, this newness of the walk, this newness of life, this walk that exemplifies Christ. The word walk speaks of the manner of life. And Paul's going to, you know, encourage them. And then he tells them about their love. This is why they were able to walk this walk, because of God's love. And so let's begin here, just kind of reminisce from last week. First Thessalonians chapter 4, look at verse 8 with me. Finally then, brethren... We urge you, we exhort you in the Lord Jesus Christ that you should abound more and more just as you receive from us how you ought to walk. And this is a key that we shared last week, uh, to please God. And so Paul is saying here, we beg you, we exhort you. The word to exhort, we pray for you to the Lord Jesus Christ that you, the church of Thessalonica, would increase more and more. Obviously, their increase more and more in the Lord. Their increase more and more in the Word of God. Their increase more and more in God's faith. We shared last week that faith comes by hearing and hearing uh, by the Word of God. But imagine what the church at Thessalonica had received in just a, a short three weeks. As we know that from the book of Acts, that Paul was there for three Sabbath weeks. But notice in verse 1 here, that he says how you ought to walk and to please God. If you were here last week, we went back to making a reference to Genesis chapter 5. It speaks about a man by the name of Enoch. And the Bible says that Enoch walked with God, and then God took him. We know that Enoch went into heaven. We know that Elijah was also taken, and he went to heaven. Many believe that in Revelation chapter 11, there are the two witnesses that are coming back could very easily be uh, Enoch and Elijah. But the Bible says there in Genesis chapter 5 that Enoch walked with God and that he pleased God. And so we were encouraged last week, and I'll encourage you again this morning. I hope your walk is to please God, not to please man, but to please God. We know that Abraham pleased God. We know that King David pleased God. And so we see this man Enoch. He pleased God. And so Paul continued, look at verse 2. For you know what commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. We developed this quickly. We know that in Exodus chapter 20, we have the Ten Commandments. But Paul is not speaking about the Ten Commandments here. The word, uh, what we commanded you, the word is instructions. The instructions of doctrine that you were taught even in that short period of time and how they, they flourished in the Word of God. Look at verse 3. 
And then Paul speaks about the will of God for them. He says, for this is the will of God, your sanctification. In other words, they'd have already come to saving grace. And because you're saved by grace through faith, not of works, God sanctifies you. And the word means to be set apart. And then because you are a Christian, because you are saved, because you are set apart, sanctified, Paul encourages them that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Now, we looked at that Greek word last week. The King James doesn't say sexual immorality. The King James says fornication. And if you go to the word fornication in the Greek, it speaks of the word pornea, where we understand we get the word porn, pornography. It's something that's inundated our society today, especially because we have the Internet. And you can so easily entertain yourself in this sin nature in the household of your own bedroom. And so Paul encourages them. Listen, you're saved. You're sanctified. The word sanctification not only means that you're set apart, but it calls us to purity. You're called to holiness. You're called to righteousness. And so because of that, we need to abstain from this type of sexual sin, all sexual sin. And then Paul uh, con con continues into verse 4, that each of you should know how uh, to possess his own vessel. And again, he uses the word in sanctification and honor. Now we understand a vessel, so we think of a container, something that we might place water in, a container that we would even put dirt in. But the word vessel here, in keeping the context of what we're talking about, I love what the translation says here, that each of you should know how to possess, how to acquire your own vessel. How to you, you're to acquire, to look for, to pray for your husband or your wife if you're not married. And that's what should keep you from a sexual sin. Remember that you're looking for a believer, one that's sanctified. We spoke about uh, not being unequally yoked, but being yoked together. And be careful where those that say, you're not to marry outside of your race. That's not what the scripture says. You're not to marry a non-believer if you're a believer. And so you wait for one that is sanctified, set apart. And then he goes on further into verse 5, not in passion of lust. And so your girlfriend, your boyfriend's not a believer? And you're trying to abstain from uh, fornication, all sexual sin? And so it says here that you should not in, in passion of lust like the Gentiles. As Christians, we should know better. The Gentiles, he says, who do not know God. Young ladies, be careful. You're a Christian and you start dating a young man. And before you know it, he wants to go to bed with you. And he says, but honey, I love you. Let me prove my love for you. No, the Bible says he lusts for you. And he wants to sin with you. And here in our society today, it's also the girls that are going after the men. And it's not for love, but it's for lust, uh, to gratify the pleasures uh, of the world. He says, you're not like the pagans. You're not like the non-believers. You're a Christian. So Paul's giving some beautiful information here. Now, I like the word Gentiles here. You're not like the Gentiles. Now, a Gentile was considered a non-believer. A Gentile was also considered a heathen or a pagan. But in the time of this society, a Gentile was also called a dog. 
And so you think of a dog and their sexuality, they do anything and everything. There's no concern. There's no true love. And so Paul's saying, you're the model church. Keep away from this. In verse 6 now, he says that no one should take advantage. And so Paul changes from the sexual pleasures now to our integrity, to our responsibility, that no one should take advantage and of defrauding his brother or sister in this matter. The word matter there speaks of a business deal. You're not to cheat. You're not to take advantage. You're not to lie if you're selling a vehicle uh, to a brother or a sister in Christ. The responsibilities that we have. He says here, you're not to defraud your brother, your sister, on this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such things. And we also forewarned you, and we testify. And I tell you what, if you take advantage of somebody, and you know better, then God's going to justify you. And so we need to be upright. We shared last week. You know, most of us know, and forgive me this morning, maybe you are a car salesman. I don't know. But there's that logic. We don't trust the car salesman. But in all reality, if we're selling a car or if we're buying a car, it should be our dealing like we're dealing with Christ. We're at work. We should be working as we're working for the Lord. And so Paul's not just speaking about, you know, our sexual preferences that we should abstain, but abstain from defrauding anybody in a business deal. And so Paul kind of shifts gears a little bit. But he's still speaking about this model walk of the believer. Look at verse 7 now. And he says, for God did not call us to uncleanness. He did not call us to uncleanness in the area of our sexuality. He did not call us in uncleanness into the area of our integrity, our responsibility in a business deal. But he says here, you've been called to holiness. In the word sanctification, you're separated. And now you're consecrated to God. And that word sanctification is that you're called uh, to purity. You're called to holiness. You're called to righteousness. And so think about it. We have a tremendous responsibility. In our sexuality, we're to wait for the marriage. We spoke of that beautiful verse last week in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4. It says that marriage is honorable before God. The bed is undefiled. And then it says, God will not allow fornicators or adulterers in. Then when we do, then the bed becomes defiled. The word honor the marriage. Go back to Genesis chapter 2. The first institution, the first covenant made with man, it was marriage. Marriage is holy. Marriage is sanctified. It's set apart. Marriage is costly. I want you to think about it. Christ paid for that marriage with his precious blood. And then we come to the conclusion of last week. And he says in verse 8, Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but you're rejecting God, who has also given us the Holy Spirit. And so I like what Paul does here, the responsibility that he places on the church at Thessalonica. I've given you these instructions. I've given you God's word. And you might not like what I have to say. 
But Paul says, you're not rejecting man. You're not rejecting me. You're rejecting the Lord. You're rejecting his word. The Holy Spirit has taught you these things. And so again, we have such a responsibility. In the seven churches to Asia Minor, Revelation chapters 2 and 3, to each church, Jesus ends the letter and he says, take heed. Pay attention. That's the Greek. Take heed to what the Holy Spirit is saying to the church. Don't just come in on Sunday mornings and listen to the sermon. Don't just open up your Bible and read it. But there has to be application. Lord, change me. Lord, transform me. And so how am I going to accomplish all this? How am I going to do this model walk of the believer? And we're going to find out from verses 9 through 12. It's through God's love. I can't do it. Neither can you. I need God's love. You need God's love. You see, in the world, we have phileo love, and that's, I'm fond of you. I, I care for you like I would care for a brother and sister. And then the other word that we have is eros, and that's sexual love. Now, eros is good in the marriage, but not outside of the marriage. But then Jesus speaks about this agape love. And I can only acquire, you can only acquire Agape love through salvation in Christ. And then all of a sudden, God bestows upon you this beautiful love. This love that causes you to be concerned about others. This love that causes you, the scripture says, to be concerned about the poor, about the widow, about the orphan, about your brother and sister in Christ that's down and out, that's in need. And so we reach out. And it's a beautiful place. You, you would not do that before. I wouldn't go to no prison or jail to visit anybody. I looked at those guys. And I said, that's your fault. You did the crime. What do they say? Now you do the time. But I come to saving grace. And God calls me into the prison, into the jail ministry. I'll tell you what, I loved it. When God called me to come to the church and start a Bible study and start a church for him, it was hard for me because I loved going to the jails. I had a captive audience. They weren't going nowhere. But God gives you love, compassion. This is why if you go to the market and you happen to start a conversation or somebody starts a conversation with you, you try. You try to, uh, you know, incorporate God's love. I often go to Albertsons and the, the, the cashiers, they know me. And they've said, Pastor Bob, pray for me. One lady asked me just the other day, she says, where have you been? I need some more CDs. I need some more teaching. I need some more prayer. We have a witness and a testimony. And because of God's love in us, they see it. They recognize it. And so this is what Paul's going to be speaking about here. Let me read it through, and then I'm going to go back and make some commentary. First Thessalonians chapter 4 now. Look at verse 9. And he says, but concerning brotherly love, that is the word phileo. It's different. He says, concerning brotherly love, you have no need that I should write to you, Paul says, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Now he goes back to agape love. You're learned from the Lord. You have learned as the Holy Spirit teaches you to love one another. 
That's how, why we reach out. That's why we share. Look at verse 10. And indeed, you do so toward all the brothers and sisters. That's the translation there, who are in Macedonia. Not, they were not just exemplifying God's love there at the church of Thessalonica. But man, the people in Macedonia. And if you go to your maps, you can see all the other uh, cities there, towns. They knew of the love of the church at Thessalonica. Remember, they were a vibrant church. Even though they were young in the Lord, they were on fire for Jesus. And indeed, you do so uh, toward all the brothers, sisters in Macedonia. But we urge you, and this is again, he brings forth the word urge. We beg you, brothers and sisters, that you increase more and more. And here, increase more and more in what? In God's love. God's love. Verse 11 and 12, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life. And most of the time we would say, ladies, listen to this. But gentlemen, you listen also to mind your own business. This is Christian. Too many gossips in the church, too many tattletales in the church, too many pointing fingers in the church. Interesting that Paul brings this up, that you also aspire to lead a quiet life, to mind your own business, and to work with your own hands as we commanded you, that you may walk properly the word is honestly toward those who are outside. We should be that witness to those outside the church. The non-believer that sees us, you know, at school, at work, at play. Or our family members, here it is, you know, Mother's Day, we're going to be with family, friends, and loved ones. Maybe some of them are not saved. Do they see Christ in you? That you may walk properly, this manner of life, walking in Christ properly, honestly, toward those outside of the church. And that you may also lack nothing. The Bible tells us that in Genesis 22 that Jesus, that God is Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. We should lack nothing. And I'm not just speaking financially. We should lack nothing in, in the spiritual things because we obey God. And so let's say a quick prayer, Father, that we would have understanding here now as we're going to get into this area of the text that speaks about God's agape love. This is why I can be a model believer that walks in Christ because of God's love. Speak to our hearts now in Jesus' name. So in verse 9 again, but concerning brotherly love, he says that you have no need that I should write to you for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Paul's confidence that they had come to the Lord so strongly, I shouldn't even be writing this letter. I should be con convinced in my heart that the Holy Spirit is teaching you. But notice that he says here, concerning this Christian love, but he uses the word phileo, this word to be found of. It's taken from, we speak of the city of Philadelphia, the city of what? Brotherly love. And so Paul says you have this brotherly love. To have natural affection for a brother or a sister in Christ. He says, I don't even have to write to you about that. You should know this. How do you know it? By the Holy Spirit as he reveals to each one of us that we first come to God's love. And God himself has taught you to love one another as the Holy Spirit instructs us. Paul goes from phileo love, brotherly love, and then he says to agape love. 
To agape you means to see that it should be easy to have this brotherly love now for one another because God teaches you. He teaches me to truly love one another. And now I don't just love with brotherly love, but divine love. This love that only Jesus can give. The best way to describe divine love is look at the cross. Jesus went to the cross and he paid the full price for you, for me. He died to give us life, life eternal. So agape love is always giving, always giving and giving and never wanting anything in return. You see, in the world's standards, I do something for you, I'm going to expect you to do something for me. I do something, you can't do it right now, but I'm going to keep a, a log in the back. You owe me. But in agape love, I reach out. You reach out. And sad church, but sometimes we're even taken advantage of. You know, our church is not the biggest church in Las Cruces, but you know what? A lot of people know about our church. And a lot of people know that they can come to our church and ask for assistance. They know that we have a pantry. They know that we can uh, supply food. They know that we can also give clothing. They know that if there's no milk in there in our refrigerator, that we'll go to the store and get them something. They know. And we asked them, who sent you here? Another church sent them to us. Used to get mad about that. Well, why don't they take care of it? And God showed me, because I want to bless you. And sometimes there's not enough food. Sometimes we have to, you know, re restore it. And build it back up. But that's okay. We're called to give and not to want anything in return. And not to, you know, you owe me and I owe you, you know. Oh, God's love. That's the beautiful attraction of Christianity. Now, let's take it further. Go with me to the Gospel of John. Leave a marker there. We'll come back. The Gospel of John, chapter 13. Now, John the Beloved was given such a name. He was called John the Beloved because he, he writes about God's love continually. He was the one that was at the Last Supper stretched out, leaning on Jesus' chest. He was the one that when Jesus died on the cross, he, he gives his mother to him and him to his mother. John had such love. And so John writes about this great commandment. Now again, uh, verse 31, we're going to pick it up. We know in Exodus chapter 20, there's the Ten Commandments. But in the New Testament, Jesus did not come to destroy the law, but he came to fulfill the law. And he came to fulfill this law with his love. And so he takes these Ten Commandments and you put them all together. How am I going to accomplish the Ten Commandments? But through God's love. And so John so beautifully writes, and these are the words of Christ now. In verse 31, John chapter 13. So when he had gone out, Jesus said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and glorify him immediately. Now, what John is doing here, he's writing the words of Christ, but what Jesus is doing, he's preparing his disciples. You see, we're in John chapter 13 now. 
And so shortly, Jesus is going to be betrayed. Shortly, Jesus is going to be arrested. And he's going to go to this mock trial, this, this trial that should have never happened. They broke every law. And they're going to find him guilty. Guilty of nothing. Because he claimed and he said, I am the Son of God. And they put him on the cross. But they didn't understand. In fact, they would not understand until the book of Acts chapter 2, when Pentecost hit. Remember Peter, he denies the Lord prior to three times. And Jesus says, you will deny me this day three times. And then the, roast, the rooster is going to crow. And when, when he heard that rooster, it pierced Peter's heart. But in Acts chapter 2, Peter was never the same. The power of the Holy Spirit had come upon him. And we know that 3,000 souls came to saving grace on that day. But here's so they don't understand. But listen to the intimacy now. This, these terms of endearment that Jesus uses in verse 33. Little children. Oh, such intimacy there. Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me as I had said to the Jews, where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. And so they were not going to understand it yet. In fact, not even until Jesus resurrection and they still didn't fully understand and it wasn't until the baptism of the holy spirit in acts chapter 2 they were hiding they were scared they were frustrated and so now jesus says a new commandment i will give to you i'm going to take exodus chapter 20 the 10 commandments and bring them all together and then he says that you love one another as i have loved you and that you also love one another. What a beautiful picture. You see, we look at the Ten Commandments. You should not covet your neighbor's wife. You should not covet your neighbor's goods. You should not steal. You should not murder. And so all these are accomplished because of God's love. Because I love the Lord. And it starts off that he first loved me. Beautiful picture. And then he describes it further. Look at verse 35. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. The word disciple is that everybody's going to know now that you're my students, you're my pupils, that you're my disciples, my followers. They will know you by God's love. He says, by this all will know that you are, you are my disciples if you have love one for another. God's divine love, church. The other believers would know, would see. Now, I'm sure all of you have done some travels at one time or another, maybe far, maybe not. But I've always, you know, been just amazed how beautiful you run into other believers. It might take a little bit of time, but you'll see that. All of a sudden, you notice they don't curse. All of a sudden, you notice they're not smoking. All of a sudden, you notice that, you know, they're, they're upright. They're uh, honest. And there's something about them. And then they notice you. And sooner or later, you know, you, you get together and you realize you're both Christian. 
It's a beautiful place to be. By this, all will know that you are my disciples. If you have love one for another, this is God's divine love. Now, let's take it another step. I want you to turn to the back of the book uh, of the Bible. That is 1 John, the epistle of 1 John, chapter 3. And again, John the Beloved. He so beautifully writes about God's love because he understood God's love. Not that the others didn't, but John thrived on it. John thrived on this agape love. John understood eros and he understood phileo, but John now had come to that place himself. God's divine love. And so in 1 John chapter 3, look at verse 10. And here John's going to write about the importance of God's love. The importance of God's love. So uh, how am I going to do this model walk of the believer? Oh, I desperately need God's love. So verse 10, 1 John chapter 3. In this, the children of God, the children of the devil, they're manifest. Uh, now, as I read that, it has a tendency to grip you. He throws it in the same basket. He says, in this, the children of God and the children of the devil are manifested, they're revealed, they're exposed, they're known. Now watch this. Whosoever does not practice righteousness, obviously, is not of God. Nor is he who does not love his brother, his sister in Christ. How do I know somebody's a Christian, somebody's not a Christian? You see, before I came to Saving Grace, before you came to Saving Grace, we practice unrighteousness. And the best way to understand righteousness is right living with God. Before I came to the Lord, I was wrong living for God. So now I come to Saving Grace, and I desire to have a right relationship, a right living relationship with God. And in turn, I'm going to have a right relationship with others. And so Paul says it here so beautifully. Whosoever does not practice righteousness, right living, uh, is, is not of God, nor is he who does not love his brother. We're called to love our brothers. We're called to love our sisters. If not, then we're of the devil. Now, there's a radical scripture. I want you to follow it later. Jesus is talking to uh, the religious leaders. And in John chapter 8, verse 44, he says to them, your father is the devil. Your father is the devil. Now, years ago, before I came to Saving Grace, I had to learn this the hard way. God had so graciously sent to my workplace a beautiful brother in the Lord. His name was Steve. And Steve came and he started sharing Christ with me. And man, there was something about this kid. I was his boss, I was training him, and yet there was something about him. Well, it turned out that my wife went to school with him. And so we found out, we looked in the yearbooks and understood that Steve was a beautiful ball player. In fact, he was going to be drafted. And he had, you know, all the grades, he had everything. But Steve was doing drugs. And one time at school, he passed out at campus. And everybody thought it was, you know, he'd been working too hard. He'd been training too hard, too much school. Well, the paramedics came, took him to the hospital, and the report comes back. Overdose. Turned out he was doing drugs. Steve lost everything. He was kicked out of school. 
No more scholarships. No more professional ballplayers, uh, teams were looking for him no more. All of a sudden he had this black mark against them. And then right about the same time, it wasn't because he was kicked out, but at the, around the same time, his brother had committed suicide. And the whole family was distraught. And God sent somebody from the Jesus movement to Steve. And Steve came to saving grace. And when I met him, he was a changed man. And you know, I, I think about it still today. That God would send this young man to my workplace, listen, for me. And I remember the day he told me, he says, Bob, if you're not serving God, you're serving the devil. And I couldn't believe that. I had grown up in the church. I had made all my commitments and all my sacraments. I was water baptized. I was confirmed. I made my communion. I did everything. But he said, you need to have that relationship with God. Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you have God's agape love uh, in, in, in you, basically? And I had to be honest, I did not. And so God changes you, and God puts in you his love, his love. I, I wouldn't have gone to the prisons, the jails, and ministered without God's love. Uh, look at verse 11, he continues. For this is the message that you heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Uh, bottom line, number one, we come to saving grace. Now I have God's love. And because I have God's love, I have love for others. Remember when Katrina had happened in New Orleans and it was just devastating and so many lives and so many homes. And, you know, our church, we took a special offering. And you guys gave. And we were able to help a little, not a lot, but we were able to help. And right now what's happening in, in Burma with this cyclone and the United States of America, the church is going to be there, even though they don't want help. What causes us to do that? But it's God's love that's in us. And then he gives you the description of God's love and, and, and the devil's love. Look at verse 12. Not as Cain who was the wicked one, and he murdered his brother. And why did he murder uh, Abel? Because he, he works, his works were evil and his brother's works were righteous. Now on your own, I want you to develop this later. Go back to Genesis chapter 4, and there you read of the first murder. And we know that <laughs> Cain kills his brother Abel. Now you have to understand this about the story. Because we know that Abel was a herdsman. And so he raised sheep, he raised goats, he raised cattle possibly. And so when he gave of his offering to the Lord, he gave of his first fruits. And a lot of people say, oh, it's because he gave a meat offering. Because Cain was a farmer. And Cain's offering was vegetables, was wheat, was the barley, was the corn. He's a farmer. Now, it's obvious we can't all be herdsmen and we can't all be farmers. But what God was speaking about is that Abel gave of his first fruits and that Cain gave of his second fruits. Now, I don't know how you give, but I pray 
that we would learn to give God first fruits. And I'm not just speaking about your finances, but you would give. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12 that we are to present our bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. Be careful that we give God second best and not first. God wants you to give your best. Now, my wife and I learned years ago, and it was through the Holy Spirit, because we don't work by 10% uh, here at the chapel. That's Old Testament. But the Bible says that we are to give willingly and hilariously from our hearts. God loves a cheerful giver. But we learned years ago that when, you know, your salary comes in, your paycheck comes in, whatever it is, you give first of all to the Lord. And in all reality, if you can give $5, do it with the glory of God. If you can give $10, then praise God. Always give of your first fruits. And this is what he's speaking about. And the only reason that's capable of being done is because of God's love in and through you. Look at verse 13 now. Paul says, or this is John writing, Do not marvel, my brothers, my sisters, if the world hates you. <laughs> the world hates you. It's obvious the world hates Christianity. The word marvel, do not wonder, my brother, if the world hates you. I don't sit around at night and say, oh man, why the world hates me, why? The world hates you because they don't know Christ. The world hates you because they don't have this agape love. Uh, look at our own community. You know, there's a, the lawsuit's still going on. They're trying to take down the three crosses uh, on North Main. We love those three crosses. They're very significant of our city of what? The crosses. What about the logos on, you know, the city vehicles? What about the logos in uh, the county vehicles and such? You got the three crosses. They passed the bill in Southern California. The emblem of the logos of California, the state of California, they had this little insignificant cross in the corner. They had to change everything because of the court system. They want to take it out of your money. They want to take out in God we trust. You know, if you hate God that much, give me your money. <laughs> they won't do it, will they? I just read an article. I don't know how many of you were in Boy Scouts, but I was years back. And they want to change everything in the Boy Scouts. They want to change everything in the Pledge of Allegiance. Anything that has to say about God. It's an offense. The Bible says that the cross is an offense uh, to those that perish. So Paul, uh, John writes, do not marvel, my brethren, if the world hates you. In other words, they do hate you. Verse 14, we know that we have passed from death to life. He's speaking about the believer. He's speaking about those that have God's love in their hearts. We know that we have passed. I was dying in my sin, so were you, and now I come to life. Because we love, and this word is agape, the brethren. And he who does not love, he who does not have agape for his brother abides, stays in death. And so you say, well, I'm not dead. I'm not a believer, but I'm not dead. Oh, you're dying. And if you don't take care of business and come to Christ one day, your death is going to take you to hell. And that's what the scriptures say. And so 
take heed to what the Spirit of the Lord is saying to the church. If I don't have Christ, if I don't have God's love in my heart, you don't have God's love in your heart, there is no eternal life for you, but eternal life in hell, cut and dry. Now notice, he goes on into verse 15. And we're just going to conclude here in 1 John. Whosoever hates, listen to what he says, whosoever hates his brother is already a murderer. I think about that relationship between Cain and Abel. Cain had such a hatred for his brother that he pushed it to the limit where he kills Abel. Remember when God says, where's your brother? Am I my brother's keeper? And God says, your brother's blood is crying out from the grave. Hmm. Hatred is a strong word, church. I've been there, you've been there. Hatred turns into anger. Jealousy turns into hatred. Strife turns into anger, to hatred, to jealousy. And then eventually, we have to act it out. Murder. Look at your news. Every night, somebody's killing somebody. Where did it start? Anger, strife, jealousy, to the point that you have to, you know, you have to work it out. It's no longer just in your heart. We studied this last week. I'm going to paraphrase it for you. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 27 and verse 28, Jesus said, If you lust after a woman, you don't commit the act of fornication or adultery. But if you lust after her, or if the woman lusts after the man, you've already committed fornication or adultery, Jesus said, in your heart. And so I've never physically killed anybody, but in my heart, I've killed a few. And if you're honest, you've killed a few. If you come from Southern California freeways, you've killed a lot of them. It's in our heart. Well, I want to bless you in Jesus. I'm going to run you over. Hatred, we have to be careful with it. But it's because of God's love in my heart, God's love in your heart, that we want to help. One of the most beautiful things we see in our church here, when somebody passes away in our fellowship, and, and you know, most of you know what happens, what entails family, friends, loved ones. Everybody comes from everywhere. We just recently had did the España funeral, and man, they had a ton of people. And it was so neat because they're busy. And so the body of Christ, man, everybody was taking them food. They had tons of food. And everybody kept asking, where'd the food come from? Where did the food come It came from the church, the body of Christ. Some of you have experienced that. When my dad passed away, uh, the families, oh man, they took care of it. The church took care of it. In fact, my old church gave us their whole church building to use. Their facility, no charge. People come up and they'll say, well, how much do you charge? No charge. Most churches charge you. Where's the love of God? Where's the compassion? Where's the grace? Why do I want to give? Why do I want to care for the orphans or, uh, you know, the widows or uh, the poor? Why do I care? Because God's love compels me. Now, let's go back to our text. 
We needed to spend time there in verse 9. And let's go back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Look at verse 10 now. So he's been speaking about this love. And indeed, he says, you do so toward all the brothers and the sisters who are in Macedonia. But again, Paul takes it back to verse 1. But we urge you again, brethren, that you increase more and more. Now, back in verse 1, that you increase more and more in Christ. That you increase more and more in his gospel. That you increase more and more in his faith. But here, that you increase more and more of what he's been talking about. God's love. God's love. I like what Richard, he always pray. He always prays, Lord, give us more love for Jesus. And that's what it's all about. If I have more love for Jesus, I'm going to have more love for you. My concern, my care, my compassion, because of God's love, that it would increase more and more. Now, what's interesting, we shared already, the church at Thessalonica was a small church. It was only three weeks to a month in the Lord. Scholars say even if it was a little longer than the three weeks that Paul was there, but Paul had to leave. But they were growing leaps and bounds. They were still considered a young church. And look at what it says here. Verse 10, and indeed you do so toward your love towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. If you look at your maps in the back of your Bible and you look at Macedonia, you see there that the churches that it describes as Amphipolis, Philippi, Berea, and Apollonia, and that's just the churches that we know of. There's others. But they were known in Macedonia. Hey, did you hear about those Christians at Thessalonica? Man, they'll help you out. They got God's love in their heart. Yeah, one of the brothers over here in Berea broke his leg, and he can't farm no more. Two brothers came over and said, we're done with our farming. We're going to help you. Not a blessing. What causes you to do that? Oh, he broke his leg. Oh, poor guy. Do his farm? Why? He didn't help me. Why should I help him? That's our logic. But if we know Christ, if we know Christ, and so Paul prays for them that they would continue to grow in God's love. One of the dangers of the church, now be careful, that we're comfortable. I'm a Christian. I'm saved. I go to Calvary Chapel. Pastor Bob will teach us. Come on Wednesday nights. I'm getting Old Testament. Be careful with complacency. Be careful of becoming stagnant. Be careful of just becoming fat on the word. Let's take what we learned and let's share it with somebody. As God sent Steve to my workplace, he shared with me. You should be sharing with others. If we've come to the born-again experience, we should be concerned for others, especially if it's our family, friends, and loved ones, and they're perishing and going to hell. Man, reach out to them. Listen to this verse now. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, Paul says to the church at Rome, he says, now hope does not disappoint. And basically, hope does not disappoint. Why? Because hope blesses. Because the love of God has been poured out into our hearts. Listen, by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Strong statement here. You see, Jesus told us 
that when he would die and leave, he would not leave us comfortless, but he would not leave us as orphans, but he would send the paracletos, the comforter, the Holy Spirit of promise, and he was going to teach us all things. Now, look at Romans 5, 5 again. Let me read it to you. Now, hope, the word hope, is the word faith and confidence. So he says, now faith and confidence does not disappoint, but it blesses because the love of God has been poured out, has been spilled over into our hearts. Back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, the Holy Spirit came upon the early church. And we should never be the same. Now I want you to turn with me real quick to the Gospel of John again. Let's go to chapter 14 this time. Jesus left us the promise of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's going to teach us, lead us, and guide us into all truth. And one of those truths is God's love. So in John 14, the gospel, look at verse 25. Uh, here's the words of John as Jesus says them. John wrote them, obviously. These things I have spoken to you while being present with you. Verse 26, but the helper the Counselor, the Parakletos, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name. He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. You see, the Holy Spirit is going to remind me, He's going to remind you about God's love. Listen, I called you to salvation. I've sanctified you. I've set you apart. I've filled you with the, the Holy Spirit. I've I overpowered you with the Holy Spirit. And now go do what I've called you to do. What's the Great Commission? Go therefore and make disciples of all men and baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. It's not just my call. It's your call also. The Bible says that they will know you by God's love. God's love. And I remember when I would see Steve day after day. It took three years for me to get saved. But I would see him every day. And I tell you, I would go home and I knew in my heart, I says, I want what that man has. He has something genuine. Here I've done all the sacraments and I don't have what he had. He had God's love. And that Holy Spirit comes and he helps us. In Acts 1.8, it tells us, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And then he says, you shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. And then listen to this, to the uttermost parts of the world. Here we are, 1950 years later. And I tell you what, the gospel has come to the uttermost parts of the world. Las Cruces, New Mexico. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Let's go back to our text. Look at verse 11 and 12 as it comes to the conclusion. And then Paul, in encouraging the church at Thessalonica, he says that you also aspire, and the word is that you would study, that you would strive to lead a quiet, the word is restful, life. And here's that exhortation, ladies, gentlemen, too, to mind your own business. Oh, my goodness. Why does Paul always tell each church to mind your own business? Because we're gossipers. <gasps> did you see what she did? I do not like the way she chews her gum. She wore the same clothes last week. Imagine that. 
That's just nature. Let it go. And when somebody comes up to you and they go, can I tell you something about so? No. Let's pray for them. Stop it right there with love and compassion. Because I tell you, if they're coming to you to talk about somebody else, they've already gone to somebody else to talk about you. Interesting. Aspire to study God's Word, to lead a quiet life, a restful life, and to mind our own business. And then he says something interesting, to work with your own hands. As we have commanded you, now we're going to study this further, but the church at Thessalonica believed so strong that Jesus was coming in their time. They stopped working. They stopped working. Well, Pastor Bob said the rapture of the church is coming. I'm going to White Sands next week. or Tomorrow I'm going to tell them, see you guys later. I'm going to go buy some white sheets, and we're going up to a mountain. We're going to wait for Jesus. It doesn't work that way. Back in 1982, we were young Christians, and the planets were lining up. And they said the centrifugal force was going to cause the rapture of the church. There were Christians that were actually getting in debt. Go get credit cards, brother. Charge them to the top. Jesus is coming. Let them worry about it. Where's the theology in that? They're still paying for the credit cards today. <laughs> then he goes on into verse 12, conclusion, that you may walk properly toward those who are outside. How important that they would see our love outside, those that are non-believers, that they would see us that you would walk properly toward those who are outside, uh, that you may lack nothing. The word walk, remember, this manner of life, this newness of life, that you would walk properly. Listen to the word properly. That you would walk decently and honestly. Integrity. Remember, walk in purity. Walk in holiness. Walk in righteousness as an example to the outsider, as an example to the non-believer. Be a good witness, church. Be a good witness. You're, you're witnessing to your neighbor. You're witnessing to, uh, you know, the person at work. And then you get mad and you start cursing. What kind of a witness is that? You're witnessing and witnessing and they're believing your witness and then they see you over here at Victoria's. Mm, be careful. Some of you have been there, huh? And Just kidding. Look at verse 12. That you may walk properly toward those who are outside and that you may lack nothing. Back in Genesis chapter 22, it says that God is called Jehovah Jireh. God my provider, God your provider. Now, let's not just think that God provides my financial needs, and he does. But man, I want God to provide my spiritual needs. As Paul said in verse 11, work with your own hands. Let God be Jehovah Jireh in everything that you do because of God's love. Because of God's love, God is going to provide. Man, I tell you, we are blessed here at the, at the chapel. I mean, we don't have a huge church, yet God's provided so beautifully and opened the doors so beautifully for us to be on the radio. 
And like I said before, when somebody comes, you know, the, the pantry always has something. If not, Pastor Jeff goes out and gets it for them. God's love is what causes us to do these things, church. God's love is what causes us to go to Klein Park in September every year and to provide for those people, to give them clothing, to give them food. I wish we could do it every weekend, but it's not feasible. But man, we look forward. You know what blesses me? That our friends from Calvary Chapel Downey, they come 850 miles. They can't wait to get here and to be a blessing. Why? Because of God's love. Because of God's love. They broke down last year in Tucson. And they were bummed out. They wanted to get here. Or the year before, I can't remember. Anyway, we got a hold of Calvary Chapel, Tucson. And they had mechanics out there working with them. No charge. Oh, we got to fix this van. We got to get these guys going. They're going to an outreach. What causes you to do that? God's love. God's love. Remember, God's love is always giving, always giving, never wanting anything in return. 